I don't know if you've been around Soul City this last month. Uh, we had a great month this last month. If you've been around, we had some incredible voices come in and speak into our church. Were any of you here for our Voices series get to hear any of that? Like we had, so here's what's crazy, right? So most churches, now we're a startup church. We've only been around for nine months now. Uh, most churches, when July, like June, July come, that's when the numbers start to dip. And so we were sort of ready for that. And then we did something, we only helped that cause by bringing in guest speakers, right? We just brought in all these folks that you don't know about. And we're like, yeah, let's just do that in the middle of July when most people tend to go on vacation for a month anyway. We had our highest numbers week after week that we've ever had in the history of our church this last month. Amazing. It's like... And so what's interesting about that is like, while I celebrate that, I, people would come up to me afterwards like, man, there's so many people here. I'm like, yeah, they're like, and it's weird because there's guest speakers every week. I'm like, yeah, they're like, so when are you coming back to preach? <laughs> and I began to feel the weight of like, oh man, I really could blow this whole thing. Like it really, I'm not looking forward to getting back up here. So listen, we are going to count everyone twice tonight. If you're pregnant, we're going to assume it's triplets. Like we're going <laughs> to... I'm just, this is just for me. I'm just, I need this for, sort of thing. So it's, it's been really cool for us to see how God is, is growing this church and to look ahead at where God is taking us and how God actually wants to use and leverage our lives right where we are today. And Trent asked the question earlier, and you did an absolutely horrible job of answering it. Uh, but I, the question is real. Just by show of hands, all right, so you don't have to verbally say anything. How many of you want to make a difference with your life at some level? Right, you see Allie's story, and you see something like that. You want to do something like, like that, but in your own way, through your life, right? How many of you want to do something like, great with your life that will outlive you? Anyone? Like, does anyone else want to do that in life? Okay. How many of you just want to make a lot of money and watch it burn? Anyone? Okay, right, none of us want to do that, okay? None of us want to do that. We all want to do something significant with our lives. We all want to do something meaningful with our lives. Every single one of us. And in fact, uh, Christians tend to take it to another level. Because we all want to make a difference. We all want to do something significant. But Christians have this thing in them that's very right. That Christians, uh, and, and if you're not a, a, a Christian person or a church person, you actually get to kind of sit back and watch for this one. Because Christians have this thing. They want to do the will of God. Like, this is a really big deal. Like, Christians are like, I just want to be in God's will. I want to do God's will. How do I, how do I know if I'm in the will of God? And, and, and Christians can, you know, that's a very right thing to want to know and to want to live, but Christians can somehow like get like spiritual schizophrenics in that question. Like, I don't know. Is God over here? Is God over there? Is it A or is it B? And people can start to freak out about, am I doing the will of God? Because we all, every one of us, no matter where you're at, want to do something meaningful and significant with our lives. All of us want to change the world or at least impact the world in some way. And, and many of us in this room want to make sure that we are doing what God has for us in our lives. The problem is this, is so many times we tend to think about it in much grander terms and much more far off terms than what's right in front of our everyday lives. We think that doing something great for God looks great and grand, or that doing God's will is this big thing out there one day that we'll just magically discover and everything will be perfect. And the reality is, and this is what's interesting, the reality is, is that for those of us who have a desire to change the world or to make a difference, what if I told you that you actually already were? That instead of hoping one day to do something significant with your life or to make a difference in the world, what if I said you actually already are? That every single one of us in this room, in a very real way, and we're going to look at this in God's word tonight, in a very real way, right where you are, right who you are, are actually already changing the world. Here's what I, I want to see if you, this makes any sense. Here's what I want you to think about. I want you to think about the single best place to have a meal here in the city of Chicago. I want you to think about that for a second. What is your favorite restaurant in this entire city? Just think about the best, like when family comes into town or friends come into town, this is the place that you have to take them no matter what. Now listen, if you say Chili's or TGI Fridays, we have ushers that will escort you out the door. We will give you a talking to, a stern talking to. Like, I'm talking Chicago. Like, this is a place that people got to eat. Do you know, what's your favorite, absolute favorite place to eat in the city? Okay, it's not so much an out loud question, but I'm glad, I'm glad you're ready. No, you're ready. And you said the right, that's the right answer. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to the person next to you. Turn to the person next, no, you're ready. And I appreciate that. Turn to the person next to you and share, this is the place that you got to eat in the city of Chicago. You educate them right now. You preach to them right now about the best place to eat in the city of Chicago. Everyone has to turn to talk to someone. You have 45 seconds. Best place to eat in the city.
All right, make sure that both of you have shared. Wrap it up in about 10 seconds. Okay, here's the real gamble that I just took in asking you to do that. You may not know or remember anything from the rest of this message, but you will know where you're going to dinner after church tonight, right? So if you forget everything else, at least you know where to eat afterwards. All right, so like literally what you just did there in a very real way of sharing something that you're passionate about or something that you really care about in a very small but real way actually has an effect on someone else's life. Because you know what that's like. Someone shares something like that with you or you share what your favorite restaurant is and someone goes to it and it becomes their favorite restaurant. And now they rave on and they tell all, when all their friends and family come into town, that's where they have to eat. And in a very small way, you sort of opened up someone's world. And, and, and again, it's very, very, very small, but it's real. You literally changed the world a tiny bit. It's small, but, but it's real. So all of us are already doing this. How many of you have ever had a friend come to you and ask you for advice about a big life decision before? Like they just want you to kind of speak in or they want to bounce something off of you. Do you know that what you're doing and the, the wisdom or the counsel or the advice you give them, and if they actually listen to it and do it, you've changed the world just a little bit. You've changed the world just a little bit. You've had a book, ever had a book that you've read that you just like, oh my God, I got it. I got to share this with people. And so everyone you talk to, you're not even talking about books, but you somehow have to recommend this book, right? You're still talking about restaurants and you shove this book in their face because this book is so important to you and has changed your life. Ever, ever had that happen to you? Ever have someone say to you, you have to read this? And have you ever read it and it actually did have an effect on your life? There's several books, many books that are on my shelf because someone said, put it in my chest and said, you have to read this. In fact, someone after the 10 a.m. service this morning said, you've got to read this book. And a crazy thing happens. That person takes that book, they read that book, it opens up their view of God, their view of the world. Guess what? The world has just changed a little bit. The world has just changed a little bit. I think for so many of us, when we think about changing the world or making a difference, we think in such grand and far-off terms, when the reality of what God wants to teach us through his word here tonight is that it is already happening in real time in your life right now. The question is, what are you changing this world into? Or more specifically, who are you changing this world for? Who are you changing this world for? See, any time that you sort of leverage your, your life, your story, your experiences, your abilities, your time, your resources, any time you share yourself with somebody else, that's called influence. Any time that you leverage who you are for the good of someone else, whether God's involved or not, that's actually called influence. Influence. You are, in a small way, changing the world. And God actually has given every single one of us a measure of influence. Now, some of us, it looks totally different than it does for others. But I believe, based on the truth and the totality of scriptures, that God has actually given you, no matter where you're at, whether you would even acknowledge God as your God or not, he has given you a level of influence every one of us is an influencer. Every single person in this room is an influencer and has already changed the world in a small but real way. And I don't know what you're thinking. You're like, that's, yeah, that's, that's not me, though. I'm not that kind. I can't get on stage like Trent and just like be that natural in front of people and that kind of stuff. Like, I can't talk to people like that. Or like, I have three Twitter followers, and I'm one of them. Like, it's not, I'm not, I don't have that kind of influence. I'm not a celebrity. I'm not a big deal or anything like that. I don't have a lot of money, right? So how could I possibly influence or change anything? I don't really even have anything to share. I'm not an influencer. So I, I knew that you'd say that. And so I, I want to just walk through a, a list that I think pretty much accurately describes uh, what an influencer is and, and what it's not. And maybe you can just go through here. If you check yes to any of these, you just might be an influencer, so, so stay with me, all right? Don't read ahead. Have you done stuff, yes or no? Yes, okay, good, so you've done stuff, all right, good. Can you do stuff? Yeah, okay, you can do stuff, good, good, very good. Do you have stuff? Do you have some stuff, like a house or a car or just like CDs or something? Like, do you have some stuff? I don't even know, okay, you have some stuff? Okay, good. And then this is the most important question, this is where it becomes influences. Are there other people around you and all this stuff? If you answered yes to any of those, specifically even more importantly to the last question, then God, you can clearly see God has given you influence. He has given you a life to be leveraged. 
And the question is going to be, are you going to leverage it for him or for you? Because I think we all know the difference. You've been around those people at parties, right, or business events. They're very good at leveraging their life for themselves, right? They're like ninjas with business cards, right? They're just constantly <laughs> networking and doing all that kind of thing. And you know that at the end of the day, it's really ultimately all about them. But I know, my hunch is you've met those people who have learned to leverage their life for God. And it's amazing, isn't it? It's inspiring, isn't it? And here's the deal. That's you and me. Every single one of us has been given a life, a story, time, resources, you name it to be leveraged for God, to change the world in small but real ways for him. And I've seen this happen personally in my own life. For whatever reason, when I was a young man, I was a young guy, there were a couple people who came alongside me and poured into my life. Some just for a season, some longer. But for whatever reason, they saw something in me or God compelled them to do something that they decided to pour significant time into my life, to leverage their time, sometimes their resources, into my life to help shape me into who God is making me to be. And as I grew older, I began to realize, man, you know, that has been done for me, and I believe God prompted each of those people to do that. And so I began to look around and go, okay, God, what would that look like for me to do that with someone else? What would it look like for me to leverage my life? Like, just as these people have done that, if I'm going to change the world in small but real ways, where do, I, like, where do I start? And for whatever reason, it was many, many years ago, uh, I felt like God just sort of clearly, about 10 years ago, God clearly uh, led me to a person to say, hey, this is the person I want you to begin to, one of the people, to leverage your life, to pour yourself into. And so I was like, oh, God, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, maybe that... Maybe I should, maybe I should. I don't know. I, I'm really busy. You know, I got a lot of stuff going on. You know, I was worried a lot about like kind of how I was going to take care of my own self, my own career, and yet I knew this was going to cost me something, and yet I couldn't shake the fact that God was inviting me into doing what so many others had done before me. And so there was a young guy at the church I used to be a part of, and his name is Trent Minor. And Trent was on stage uh, earlier tonight. You know, and he's at the time like 14 and as squirrely as like 114-year-olds. And I felt at the time God say, it's worth it. Like, you can actually leverage your life, whatever, your story, your experiences, into this young guy. I didn't know what to do. I'm like, so I went to Trent. I'm like, trying not to feel creepy. I'm like, hey, um, <laughs> God told me we're supposed to meet. Like, that just, you know, could sound really weird. But actually, I went to Trent and said, hey, look, I see something in you that I think God has allowed me to see. You know, like, I want to do whatever I can do to help. So that was, like, eight years ago? Like, many years ago. In fact, we have a picture. I don't know how long it's been up. That's the day after my son was born. And I said, look, you know, I want you to come and, uh, and be here. <laughs> you know, I'm a little emotional about this, because mostly because everyone says he looks, like, Trent looks more like my son than my son does. <laughs> And so I see that picture, and it really freaks me out. <laughs> a lot of explaining to do. But the point is this. We would meet, and we didn't do it perfect. We'd go to uh, Starbucks. We'd, you know, we'd get together. We'd pick him up after school or, or go to you know, the significant events of his life. I'd try to be there for you know, wrestling things he had going on or you know, big things in my life like... Um, uh, when Jeannie's dad passed away, you know, that's one of the people I called. I called Trent. He's a high school kid, but I'm like, look, I just, dude, I need you to be around. Because for whatever reason, I knew that in a small but real way, God was, you know, using me to shape him. And that's a really powerful, like, humbling experience, you know. And then I see him here, and, and he's worked so hard this summer at this church. And, you know, I stand back and I go, that's worth every. Every expensive Starbucks drink I ever had to buy him, right? <laughs> like, it's worth every minute, every moment. Like, it's so worth it. And so I thought it would be cool, like right now, uh, to honor Trent, if we could thank him for serving so hard at our church this summer. <laughs> and 
And the reason, and the reason I'm, you know, I tear up, I well up, is because I see it. Like, I can only see it now down the stream. I, could, I certainly could not see it a ton when he was 14 and 15 years old. But now I see the way God's worked in his life. And I see the way God is working through him. And I, I can see what I believe is to come in his life. And I go, God, it's, it's worth it. And isn't it amazing and inspiring and humbling to know that you've been used in a small way to help shape someone's life and to literally change the world? And the reality is, is I know that Trent is going to do great things for God. Great things in this world. And selfishly, I want to be a little part of that. I want, to have, I want to be a small part of that. To say that I did whatever I could to leverage my life, my time, towards that, towards him, and ultimately towards God. Because that's what God has invited every one of us to do. To leverage our life, our influence for him. And there was probably a lot of other people I could have been meeting with, a lot more important people in my mind at that time to be meeting with. But for whatever reason, I felt God put me in this man's life so that I could see what God sees. Is that in very small but real ways, each of us is invited to change the world by leveraging our life. And I came to see in my own life, as people did that in my life, and I came to see that as I began to do that in Trent's life, that any time someone commits themselves to that, saying, okay, God, my stuff, my resources, my talents, my time, my abilities, whatever it is, God, I want to leverage those for you. Instead of sort of hoarding those for myself, I want to leverage those for you. I saw it when it was done to me, and I now have seen it as I've been able to do that with others and through others, that a life well-leveraged for God is a life well-lived with God. A life, that's probably the smartest thing I'm going to say in this whole message, so if you're writing anything down. (laughs) A life well leveraged for God. You look at all this stuff and say, God, it's yours. How do you want to use it? How can I be an influence for you? A life well leveraged for God is a life well lived with God because you begin to see the things of God. You begin to see the world differently, don't you? You begin to see your stuff differently, don't you? your money, your possessions, your cars, your time, you begin to look at it all differently. It all sorts of becomes, it starts to become these things that you can go, I can actually use that for God in small but real ways change the world. And this is the pattern that we see again and again and again throughout Scripture. It's ordinary, everyday people just like you and me in lots of of different ways. In fact, some of these people way more messed up than you and me. And yet, for some reason, again and again and again, we see throughout scriptures stories of people who don't start as saints. That's sort of what we've made them through the retrospect of history. But they start out as ordinary, everyday people like you and me who decide to show up and say yes to God. This is what everyday influence looks like. This is the stories that you find again and again and again and again throughout the Bible. It's people who say that they will show up to whatever it is, wherever it is that God has them, and say yes to whatever it is that God has in front of them. And we could walk through the rest of the night looking at this pattern and this principle, which I believe to be true and consistent throughout God's word. But we're just going to look at a few, just three stories tonight, very briefly, of people who showed up and said yes to God in the exact same way that you and I are being invited to do tonight. So if you have a Bible, would you open it up, please, to 1 Samuel 17? Uh, Listen, I say if you have a Bible, all of you do. Uh, Right in front of you, there is a blue Bible, so you can grab that, and we'll start at page 265. Page 265 is 1 Samuel 17. We're going to look real briefly at the life of David and how he leveraged his one and only life for God, how he leveraged his story his abilities, all of it for God. A little context. David is living in absolute obscurity. Among his brothers, he is the youngest and the smallest. And in fact, he's not just living in obscurity. He's living in obscurity in the middle of a war. And so he is an Israelite, and they have their very first king, King Saul. But King Saul has a very real enemy. It's the Philistines. And among the Philistines, there is a very big problem. His name is Goliath. You've heard of the story of David and Goliath, right? This is where it starts. Goliath is a Philistine who is constantly spewing out hate towards God and towards God's people, vile, awful things at them. And the entire army of this little fledgling beginning nation of Israel is scared of this one guy. And so here's little David in relative obscurity, honestly, a shepherd 
He's just a shepherd. He has no military experience. His only military experience, as the Bible tells us at that point, is running lunch out to his brothers who were actually soldiers and back. That's as close as he got to the battle. And yet David sees Goliath, this threat to God and to God's people, and says, you know what, I can't be quiet. I'm going to show up and I'm going to say yes to what God is putting in my life right now. And we see a moment of influence that David has that literally turns the tide for this entire nation. Let's look now in 1 Samuel 17. David goes up to the king. You could, I guess in those days, just walk right up to the king. And David says to Saul, look, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. He's talking about Goliath. Your servant, talking about himself now, will go and fight him. So Saul, the king, replied, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're a little more than a boy, and he's been a warrior from his youth. So like from the time he was your age, he's been training for this. You are not ready. But David said to Saul, your servant, now listen, this is awesome. Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. Now, when someone says you're not a soldier, to come back and say, yeah, but I'm a shepherd, not a great strategy, right? You should maybe offer some other credentials. But he says, no, I've been a shepherd. I've been keeping my father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, which is so awesome. I seized it by its hair and struck it and killed it. So clearly he deserves a show on Discovery or Nat Geo. Right? He is out there living it. He says, your servant, in verse 36, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, apparently barehanded. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. So David has his brave heart speech in front of Saul. You know, he's 16 years old at the time. The king is sitting there going, and I love his response that he gives to David. He goes, well, go, and the Lord be with you. You know, it's pretty much like, have fun, you know. So, so you know the story. If you know it at all, David goes out and grabs five smooth stones, small stones, walks right up to the presence of Goliath, and the first throw hits him square between the eyes and kills this, this guy who had spewed so much threat and anger and was ready to at any moment attack and kill the people of God. This is a little guy. This is a shepherd. This is someone who's seemingly insignificant, and yet he turns the tide of that battle and goes on to become later become king and a man after God's own heart and someone from whom the lineage of Jesus would continue. And amazing, this little obscure shepherd boy. Let's flash forward to John chapter 6. This is on page 983. John chapter 6, page 983. We're going to look at another little story of someone in obscurity. So now Jesus has come, and he's into his public ministry. And there's a lot of people following him and listening to every word he has to say. And in this moment, in John chapter 6, we see that the crowds have gathered and Jesus is actually trying to sort of pull away from them, you know, pull away so you can have some time alone with God, to be present with God, to be still with God. And they keep coming at him. And not only are they coming at him, there's a lot of them. It's safe to assume that there's probably anywhere from seven to 10,000 people in this crowd, right? You ever heard of a megachurch? Like, Jesus was a walking megachurch, okay? Like, he was the first megachurch, right? And so there's just these crowds and crowds of people around him. And now they're hungry. It's the middle of the day. They've been listening to him, following him. They're hungry. And at this point, there's no Chick-fil-A in that region. And so they're not sure what they're going to feed people. And so the disciples come to Jesus all stressed out. Let's hop in on their conversation as we see uh, another moment here in John 6, verse 8 of great influence from someone who's seemingly small and insignificant. Uh, another one of Jesus' disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. And he found someone. He found a boy who had a sack lunch with him. He says this, here's a boy with five what? Small, that's very interesting. Watch that word. Five small barley loaves and two what? Small fish. Now just pause for a moment. How big do you think his faith is in that moment? It's pretty small. He's like, Jesus, I got, we got this kid's lunch. We kind of basically you know, took his lunch money and his lunch, and we, we brought him. But he's just got five small loaves and, five, and two small fish. And, and he goes on, Andrew goes on to say, I don't know how far that's going to go to feed so many people. Verse 10, Jesus said, have the people sit down. 
And the text tells us there's a lot of grass for them to sit on. So they sat down. It says there was about 5,000 men who were there. We also know, though, that there were many women and children there. Obviously, there was children there because this boy was there, and they took his lunch from him. Uh, verse 11, Jesus then took the loaves and gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. And he did the same with the fish. And when they'd had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. Now, that's a very important phrase. Let nothing be wasted. And so many of us in our stories, in our lives, when we think about having an influence or making a difference or actually affecting change in this world, think that there's so many parts of our lives and our story that are a waste, don't we? Or that are insignificant or that don't matter. And Jesus is saying very clearly, don't let anything be wasted from this miracle. Verse 13, so they gathered them and filled the 12 baskets with the pieces of, uh, of five barley loaves and, left, uh, and the fish as well that was left over by everyone who had been there. And we see in this moment a story that is primarily about Jesus and the miraculous power of God to provide uh, not only for our needs, but in this case, our wants until everyone was full. The text tells us that they were fed until everyone had had enough. So not only do we see Jesus as the star and the hero of this story, but at the same time there is another hero, isn't there? It's a little boy who shows up with a sack lunch and says, I, you can have this if this will help. And in a very small moment with someone whose name we don't even know to this day, we're still telling this boy's story. That's what everyday influence looks like. Saying, I don't know if this is much, God. I don't even know what you can do with this, but here it is. I will leverage it for you for however you would use it. He shows up, says yes, in a seemingly small but very real way that changed not only everyone's day, but literally is a story that we're still telling to this day. One more story, and we're actually going to jump back to the Old Testament, and then we'll wrap this up. This is back in the book of Esther, so you can jump back now to page 459, We'll look at this last story in the Old Testament of this woman named Esther and how she leveraged her life and her everyday influence to save thousands and thousands of people. It's a very real, very personal story. Uh, Esther is a Jewish woman who's actually living in Persia, which is a very godless country. So we have a Jewish woman. Once again, there's many stories like this in the Old Testament. She's in exile. She's living in Persia. There's many other Jews who are there with her. And she is beautiful from what the text tells us. She's very beautiful. And so the king of Persia decides that he wants to have another wife. And so he throws a, literally a sort of like Miss Persia beauty contest. And he like, he lines all the most beautiful women up and he says, he kind of picks the one that he wants and makes her his next wife. And so he just so happens to pick this Jewish girl named Esther, having no idea that she was actually Jewish. Now someone in the king's court wanted to uh, initiate a genocide and literally wipe the Jews off the face of the earth, at least those that were in Persia. And so he gets in and gets pretty sneaky and tricks the king into making a decree, a law, that would essentially begin an annihilation of a people. And this is big, tragic, historic stuff. And so we have a moment where uh, Esther's cousin, Mordecai, her older cousin, uh, hears and sees kind of what's going on. He hears the plan that's being put into play. And so he goes and begs of his cousin, Esther, to do whatever she can do to turn the tide of what's about to come. And what's interesting is Mordecai's little speech that he gives to Esther to beg her, to plead her, to leveraging her life and her influence to save literally her life and the life of many others. This is found in Esther chapter 4. This is on page 459. Listen to these words that Mordecai says to Esther. He says, now listen, if you remain silent at this time, like if you don't do anything, if you remain silent, if you refuse to sort of leverage your life for God in this moment, here's what's interesting. Relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. So what's so great is his faith is not in her, it's in God. God will take care of his people. He will do it somehow, some way. I can't see it now, but it will come. But this is what he says. But you, Esther, and your family you will perish. There will be no escaping this for you. And look at these words. And who knows but that you have come to royal position for such a time 
as this. Mordecai says, who knows, could it be that the reason you were chosen to be the wife of this wicked king is for such a time as this that you could leverage your life to make a difference, to not only save your life, but the lives of thousands of people. And if you've heard or know the story, she spends a couple days fasting and praying and going, okay, if I walk into his presence without being invited, I could be killed on the spot for that. But if I don't, he's probably going to kill me as soon as he finds out that I'm a Jew. And so she announces to him that she's Jewish and that he needs to repeal this law. And he does. And literally thousands and thousands of lives are spared because this one person, this one person saw that her life was exactly where God needed her to be, had her at for such a time as that. And that her influence, her story, could literally be leveraged for God and to affect thousands and thousands of people. She simply showed up and said yes. Showed up and said yes. Now these stories sound epic and legendary, and they are in some ways, but I guarantee you at the time, Esther, this little boy with his sack lunch, you go back to the story of David or any one of these stories you can find throughout the pages of the Bible, I guarantee you that those people at that time in those moments did not feel legendary or heroic. And many times they struggled or fumbled their way to showing up and saying yes to God. But we have the perspective of living downstream the course of history. And we can look back and say, oh my goodness, can you see thousands of years later, thousands of miles away even from where all this happened, the effect, the influence that their little decisions made on the rest of human history. And I wonder what will be said, you know, years down the road, down the stream from our lives. Will it be said, oh my goodness, look at what happened when these folks, when these people chose to leverage their life in small but real ways for God, to leverage their lives, to use their everyday influence to make a difference. Their stories are not all that unlike yours and mine. And the same God who prompted, who protected, who provided them is here today and he is inviting you and I to nothing less than to leverage our everyday lives, to see your life and my life as a life of influence and that the stuff in our life is more than just stuff, but stuff that can be used by God in small but real ways when you and I decide to show up to each day and say yes, to just say yes. Can you imagine what it might look like, how it would look if, so let's say tomorrow when you go to work, instead of just looking at work as a way that you sort of have to endure eight hours to get enough money to pay rent, right, instead of looking at work as sort of the bane of your human existence, right, instead of just looking at work as this place where you just sort of zone out and wake up around 4.30, what if you looked at your work and said, okay, God, I have eight hours with these people, how might I be able to show up and say yes to you? What's it going to look like? My sense is there are some people that you work with or that you work around that might be difficult to work with. Maybe. And so there might be opportunities for you even tomorrow to say, okay, God, I'm going to show up. I'm going to say yes to you. And I'm going to find ways to actually encourage that person, to let that person know something that they did well or something I'm thankful for about them, and it may feel really weird at first, and it may feel really small at first, you have no idea what that might change in the trajectory of your relationship, of your workplace, or of that person's life. You just don't know. But what you do know is that you can show up and say yes to God. Maybe even before you get to work, the best way for you to have influence at work is to pray for the people you're going to interact with that day. Seriously, when was the last time as you were heading in on the train or driving in or riding on the bus that you actually said, you know what, I'm going to pray for these folks? And you may actually like some of them. Like, what would it look like to pray for them by name? And so that before you ever even walk in the door, you have spiritually already set up your workplace that day as a place of influence. You have no idea what that might just change in that person's life or in your work. You have no idea until you show up and you say, yes. 
for those of you who have roommates or who have friends or in relationships, like this week, my hunch is you're going to have an opportunity to share, to leverage your time or your resources with them. My sense is that you're going to have time to leverage, or you're going to have opportunities to leverage your time, maybe even your story, maybe even your resources in some real way with them, that there's going to be a need that arises among your friends that you actually can do something about, that like your car could be used for, that you have an extra couch or a bed where someone can stay for a little bit who needs a spot, that there's going to be someone in your life, in your world, who's really hurting. And the most important thing they need is you just to sit with them and listen. And you have no idea what that might change, at the very least in their day, potentially, honestly, how that might change the trajectory of their life. For some of you, it's going to mean that this week, listen, I'm really serious about this stuff because this is the way God works. This week, you're going to have a chance to share your story with them because they may be going through something that you went through and as you listen to them, you go, you know what? I want to tell you about a time when I went through that and here's what I've learned. Here's what God's taught me. Here's what God is teaching me as I'm going through this or I just recently went through this. You just leveraged in that moment your story for God. And for some of you, there's parts of your story you're not quick to share, and they may be the very parts that God's inviting you this week to leverage for him. Will you show up and say yes? And say yes. Like, that's why we like, push so hard to get people involved around here. That's why we, we make such a big deal about people who have their first serves around here. Because when you get involved in something bigger than you, when you show up here every week, and it may be in a cafe, or it may be in Soul City Kids, or maybe you know here in production, whatever, and you say yes to God, to leveraging your time and your ability to God, guess what? You begin to see things differently, don't you? For those of us who serve and volunteer regularly around here, you see this church differently than just as a spectator, don't you? You know what it feels like. You show up, it's like, oh, this, is, this is my church. This is our church. This isn't just a church. This is our church. And you see it differently in the experience that you provide. And for those of you who welcome and greet people, you have no idea what that might mean in someone's life. And the thing we hear again and again and again and over and over from people is, and I walked in that church, I felt so welcomed. I felt like I already belonged. Friends, for those of us who live in the city, you know how hard and how long that could take, don't you? To feel like you can actually find a home in the city, don't you? And to have it be a spiritual home, and you get to be a part of that? That's incredible, isn't it? That's why we're doing the backpacks. It's just a backpack, right? We went and bought all of our stuff with our kids, and, you know, it's a lot of stuff, and these kids are going to have severe back problems very soon <laughs> because it's very heavy backpacks. Do you know why we're doing that? It's because we believe these kids absolutely matter to God. As much as all the stuff that I would want to buy myself with that money or with the time that it took to fill that backpack. Do you know why we do the backpacks and why we're committed this Saturday and we want you to be a part of what God's doing this Saturday? It's because you will see things differently and you actually may interact with a kid, whether it's in person this Saturday or just through the backpack you give them. You have no idea. You have no idea what that little role that you played in their life, small but real, may have on the trajectory of their life. Do you know how I know this? It's because the principal of Brown Elementary, Kenya Sadler, she is an amazing woman. And we follow her leadership. She loves and is devoted to those kids. And she is turning that school around. She fights for those children every day day, sometimes fighting against the city itself for these kids. And guess what? She was a student of Brown Elementary herself. She was a kid in that overlooked, under-resourced school who had to fight her way through, and now she's back as the principal of that school, and we get to partner with her in these little kids' lives. What else do you want to do with your life? Then leverage it for God. A life well leveraged for God is a life well lived with God. And it starts when you and I show up and say yes. And God is going to give you plenty of opportunities to do that this week. And our hope and our prayer is that you will. And real, small, but real.
ways. And who knows the great things that God will do through our small acts of influence this week. So I want to invite the band up and we're going to move into a time where we get to uh, just reflect that. We get an opportunity to uh, demonstrate our trust in God and make a small um, use of our resources to say thanks to God. We do this all the time here at Soul City Church. We're going to receive an offering. And the reason we do this might not be what you think. This is not primarily a financial thing. This is a spiritual thing. This is the thing between us and God. This is when we um, look at our life and we see the way that we've been blessed. Even though we may not think we have all that we want, we know that we have more than we need, don't we? And so we want to give back. We want to acknowledge God's goodness in our life. And so many of us do that online or through the mail, but we also do it in this time together as an act of worship because we want to acknowledge together before God our dependence on him, our trust in him, and our gratitude for him. And so we literally give back a portion, a percentage of what we believe God has provided to us. And so we're going to spend a few moments uh, doing that. I want to pray for us, and then I'll be back in a minute to lead us through your time of communion and worship. But let's, let's pray right now. God, would it be true of our lives in small but real ways that we might leverage ourselves and our lives, our stuff, our time, our resources for you. God, what else can we do in this life? What else can we offer you but what you have already given to us? And so God, we pray that you would help us even begin right now tonight to see our stuff differently, to see all this stuff differently, God, that we would see it as a gift from you and an opportunity to be leveraged for you, to have real influence in small but real ways in our world, God. And so, God, I pray that you would provide us with those opportunities this week, that you would not leave us alone, God, that you never do, that you will bring opportunities to our life this week for us to show up and to say yes to you. Thank you, God, that we join with hundreds and thousands and millions of stories that have gone before us that have done nothing less than to show up and say yes to you and to offer our lives and ourself, God, even the good, the bad, the ugly to you and to watch how you do great things through our small things and, God, how you make beautiful things from our broken things. Only you can do that, God. And I thank you for how you are doing that and how you will do that in and through this church. God, receive this worship to you as our small gift of gratitude. In your name, amen. Springing up from this old ground Out of chaos life is being found In you You make beautiful things You make beautiful things Out of the dust you make beauty 
So what we're going to do is we're going to spend the next few minutes actually experiencing what we just sang. We're going to spend a few minutes uh, receiving and celebrating the act of communion. And this is a beautiful thing because it really tells the story of what we just sang, that God would bring life from death, that God would bring beauty from brokenness, and that God would actually send us his very son, that we, through his death and resurrection, can have life with him. This is an ancient Christian tradition, one that was actually initiated by Jesus himself. And in the hours before he would be betrayed and arrested, ultimately led to a cross, he gathered his disciples together, that first group of influencers that would literally go on to change the world. And he sat them down, and he knew how prone to forgetfulness and wandering they were and we are. And so he took symbols. He took from the table a loaf of bread, and he said, I want you to know something. This is my body, which is broken for you. Literally, my body will be made available fully to you. And this is my blood. And he took wine and poured that and said, this is my blood, which is poured out for the forgiveness of your sins so that you can actually have freedom and life. There's no one else in human history who better represents to us and modeled to us what it means to literally show up into our world, to show up and to say yes to God to the will of God, even to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus held nothing back from us, offered him his very life for us so that we could have life in and through him. And so for the next few minutes, we're gonna celebrate communion. And for some of us, it means a time of solemn remembrance where we sit still in the weight of our sin and our brokenness and our dependence on God and we confess to God our sin and our need for him. For others, it means celebration where we look at where our life was before we knew God and where it is now because of the freedom and forgiveness he has to offer us and it brings us to our knees again. And for some of us, this may be the very tipping point for entering into a relationship with Jesus Christ that you look at all that God leveraged for you, the life that he gave for you, his son, Jesus Christ, body and blood for you so that you could have life. For some of us tonight, this will be the point and the moment that we say, okay, okay, God, you spared nothing for me and so I wanna hold nothing back from you. And so what we're going to do is we've set up some space, stations here in the front of the room and one in the back as well. We would encourage you to come over the course of this next song and to take a piece of the bread, to tear it off, to dip it in the cup, and to remember the body and blood of Christ broken and poured out for you and to thank him for that, for holding nothing back for you. So let me say a prayer for us in that, and then we will continue to move into this time of worship remembrance, and communion. Jesus, thank you that it is your body, that you literally were one of us. You came to be Emmanuel, God with us. And yet you came in the form of a servant. You came to give your life for us. And we acknowledge your body was broken and offered up on a cross, but ultimately resurrected by God from the grave so that we could have life with you. We thank you for your body, your life. We thank you for the blood that was poured out, literal drops of blood, the only sinless, perfect human blood to ever flow through any vein on this earth, and you let it spill and pour out for the forgiveness of my sins, for my brokenness, for all of my dead ends. You have made a way to the Father a way of freedom and forgiveness, of wholeness and hope. And so we come to the table remembering you, acknowledging our dependence on you, and celebrating the life that your body and blood made available to us. Meet us now, God, we pray. In your name.